0: What's happening? This is Poder Podcast. Your host, Sergio Lagunas. On this podcast, we feature influential and powerful leaders with their own unique stories on art, music, education, and influence. So listen to these stories to find out their source of poder. Welcome to another episode of Poder Podcast. With us today, we have Florencia Ramirez, author of Eat Less Water. We're going to find out what that means about her life story and what continues to inspire her. So tell us, Florencia, can you share a little bit about your personal history? Uh, Where does your family come from? And what has motivated you to this point to write a book?
1: Um, I've been an activist. My father... Um, really cultivated activism in our family. He's he's I'm from Oxnard, and, and um, he's a f- first generation, actually immigrant. I'm first generation, and he would take us to different UFW um, events, and I went, I remember one in particular where we went to Delano. It was dark. In the, it was still dark in the morning. We he loaded us up in the in the station wagon, and we made that trip to Delano. And it was to support um, Cesar Chavez, who was fasting at that time for pesticide use, the pesticide spraying that was happening in on, in the fields. So it's interesting for me today. Earlier this morning, I was at a meeting talking with a group about how we could organize and ban um, pesticide use for this ent- for the entire county. You know, to be the first county to do that. So it's just interesting to see how things come in full circle. Like it was planted as a little seed when I was I don't know 10 years old, and then now as as a Grown woman, I'm still continuing, now I'm doing the work, but in a different way. But what brought me really to thinking about pesticides and farms was water. Ten years ago or 11 years ago, I'd given birth to my daughter, Serea. She's my third and last child. And at that time, we were California was experiencing a drought. It was three droughts ago. I'm reading this article or an ad in the L.A. Times that was giving different tips that we can each do to save water in our daily round, and they were the same ones that they recycle every time we have a drought, which is, you know, turn off the tap, don't water your lawn as much, and take shorter showers. There was something about the shower one that stuck with me, because at that point, I considered myself to be an environmentalist. I was, you know, I had my, pi- my compost pile just outside my um, kitchen door. I, you know, I would carry around water bottles and recycle. But water was something I didn't give a whole lot of thought to. You know, we just turn on the tap and we just take it for granted that we have water and an abundant source of water. So I go into the shower and in the shower I have this really strong idea and it's like shower timers. And so I think, because let me back up a little bit. At that same time, I had been asking myself, just like my own silent mantra was, how can I serve? Like God or universe, how can I serve? You know, I'm I'm here, use me. So when I'm in the shower, I knew that that was the answer. Like, you know, something inside of me just knew that, and I thought, really, God? That's the answer? Shower timers? Like, what is that? So the idea did not go away. It just persisted. And so one night, as I was up with my daughter, uh, who was a newborn, I start to do internet searches on shower timers. And, you know, I find out that I didn't invent the idea, because at that point, I thought I had invented the concept, and I had it. But I did did, um, come across this woman, in Australia who had this really interesting designs of shower timers and one of them was a star. So I had my Estrella, my baby Estrella, and I thought that was a sign. So I reached out to this woman in Australia and before you know it, I'm importing shower timers and water collection buckets from overseas and making cold calls to water agencies and to retailers and going to Earth Day events. And I, at these different events, I'm telling, you know, I, I, I was a researcher, I was trained at the University of Chicago for public policy. So they trained me how to how to take numbers and to, you know, to manipulate, not manipulate them, but just to crunch them and to come up with statistics. And I, so I am doing a lot of number crunching and I find that if the average person were to, reduce their shower time by four minutes, over a year you would save 2,500 gallons of water. And I was really impressed by that number, and the people I told at Earth Day events were really impressed by that number, and at water agencies. So I ended up selling 80,000 of these shower timers. But one day I come across, well I was reading this one book called When the Rivers Run Dry. And in the beginning, in the introduction, Uh, the author mentions this concept called water footprint. And that was something I had not seen before. And the the concept of virtual water footprint. So a water footprint is how much water it takes for us to do something. So for example, if you take a four-minute shower, um, your water footprint for that shower is eight gallons of water, if it's two gallons per minute. So, if you, you know, so anytime you turn on that faucet, you can see what your, your water footprint is in gallons. Well, there's this other, the other concept, virtual water footprint, is looking at goods and services of how much water it took to produce that, that whatever it is. So, for example, a slice of bread is 11 gallons of water. A glass of beer is 32 gallons of water. A pound of, of um, meat or beef is 1,800 gallons of water. So every single thing that when we're looking in this room, we're sitting in my kitchen. So when you look around, everything has a water footprint. So as I'm reading this, it goes on to say that we, that food production requires 70% of all fresh water on the planet. So for me, I was thinking, well, why am I in the shower? I should be in the kitchen. So that is the most effective place to save water. So really, if we want to save water on this planet, and we absolutely need to have the conversation, because we, right now, today, a billion people don't have access to clean, fresh water, and that continues to grow. And the prediction is by 2030, um, half the world population will not have enough water. So, you know, looking at that, I thought, well, and as an activist, well, I need to think about what we're doing in the kitchen and by extension, the farms, because remember when I told, when I said how we use, we could save 2,500 gallons of water if we reduced our shower time. Well, it turns out that you and I, the average American, eats anywhere between 500 to 1,300 gallons of water, of virtual water, every day. So that's where the title came from of my for my book called Eat Less Water. So the day that I read that, I look over to my husband because it came. The book idea came to me in the title. So I, as soon as I read that, it came. Eat less water, just like the shower timers, right? So I look over at my husband, I'm like, I'm gonna write a book. It's gonna be called Eat Less Water. And he's like, okay, let's go have lunch. So <laughs> that's just that was the beginning. Because I and I think it's really important that when you know you want to do something to say it out loud. Because yes. Because it makes it true. And oh, then, yes. and that starts your path to where you're going, right? Because this story, my story is not just one about Eat, you know to eat less water in the project that i'm really passionate about but it's also that i i'm a i'm a i'm one individual who is passionate about something and is acting on it right so that's that's the the, the next step one is to find out what are you passionate about and then the next step is do something like be your own ally be your best ally because oftentimes we are We are, actually not oftentimes, all the time, we are that person who stops ourselves from doing that whatever it is that we're designed to do in the world because every one of us is designed to do something. You know, when I think about water, because obviously I think a lot about it, uh, you know, when we were born, we are the exact ratio of the planet. So we're 70% water. Just like this planet and as I started to do deeper kind of writing around what's happening like in the soil for example it's it's like what's happening in our guts you know it's all of these mirrors these reflections we are like these tiny little earths you know and so if the earth is healthy we are healthy and when it's not we're not you know if it's good for a river It's good for our bodies because we have rivers coursing through us. That is, that's how I came about with Eat Less Water. So then the next thing was, how do I do this? Like, so I had a title. (laughs) So so then how do I, where do I go from there, right? The title is the easiest part.
0: I think a lot of writers get stuck on, okay, I have a great idea, but how do I actually write it? When do I have time to write it? So tell us about that journey.
1: You know, um... Reina Grande, who wrote, has written some really great books, during the time when I was writing this book, I remember I I had met her and she had come to Ventura County to talk about her first book. And she talked about how at that time she was a single mom and she would... um, would go to you know the kid put the kids to sleep and then she had she had a job and then she went to school put her kids to to sleep and then would stay up until one two in the morning writing that first book and would start over every you know she she just continue to do this, like you know do this and then repeat do this and repeat and she did it and then at the same time I'm in this this conference with all of these educators and who had a lot more time than she did, but had a lot of excuses. Like, oh, you know, when I'm going to write that book when that, you know, because we all have a book we want to write. Well, I'm going to write that book when I retire. Or I'm going to write that book when my kids move out. Or I'll write that book when, whatever, X, Y, and Z. It's all excuses. So that's really the difference. Because there's so much talent. There's so much talent between of talented writers the difference between a writer and an author is that you finish that really that's the difference that you persist that you have that poder right that poder that continues through that process because it's not it's not instantaneous that's for sure you know this book took me um from start to finish seven years wow But like I tell people, seven years passes anyways, why not have a book out of it, right?
0: (laughs) Yeah, I think someone once told me, I did the English major at UCSB, Mm -hmm. one of my professors must have said, everybody in here can write one good book. Yep. Everyone has a story to share. It's whether you want to share it through a book or through a video or whichever, we all have that narrative. And every single narrative is powerful. Which is kind of where Poder comes yeah. from. And the whole concept of let's get these stories out here. So I'm glad that you, work, that you worked hard for those seven years from the concept all the way to finishing. And now you call yourself an author.
1: When I started this, um, I, I asked myself, okay, so can I as a one eater make an impact on water systems around the world? Just me, what can I do? And that question led me to a farm, to an organic farm. That then led me to another farm and then to another farm. So I ended up traveling to every region in the country, traveling 16,000 miles to visit with farmers and food producers who were really, who were were using less water on, on their farm and I so so when you read the book, there it's it's categorized by food. So there's um, wheat and water, rice and water, um, meat and water, produce and water, tequila and water. Right. So they're just the most popular foods and beverages in the United States, and I take you on this journey with me as I learn from these farmers and food producers what are the things that I can do as one eater to make a difference, to make an impact on water systems around the world. And really what it came down to is know where your food is coming from, know how, know that story. You're talking about narratives, well food has a narrative. All, when you open your refrigerator and your pantry, or go to a restaurant and tap into that pantry and that, their refrigerator, all that food tells a story in water systems around the world. And it's telling us either good stories or bad stories. So it's telling us stories of regeneration, of saving water, of building soil, of sequestering carbon, all of those things that we have to be doing right now if we're going to turn back the clock of what's happening on our planet. Or it's telling the story of deforestation, water pollution, greenhouse gas emissions. Like that's, food is that one, if you think about what are the, there's very few things that we do every day. Eating is one of them. So that's why food has such a huge impact on our planet, both good and bad. So right now, the way that we produce food is causing a lot of problems with um, water usage, water pollution, deforestation, greenhouse gas emissions. But the good news is it also can heal if we were to change the direction of how our food is grown, it can heal the planet, it can sequester carbon. And what that means is it can pull carbon from the air and place it into the ground so that we're not having the climate change or the you know the warming of this planet. So, because what I learned is that the same methods, the same farming methods that are used to save water are also the same farm methods that sequester carbon. I guess it shouldn't be a surprise. It's all good, like carbon and water, that all of that just, it just works together. So it is regenerative agriculture, and that's a term that might be new to a lot of your listeners, but i saying it on purpose because I want it to be known as it needs to be part of our vocabulary. The the things I write about in the book, I want that needs to be part of the vocabulary because that's the only way we can change things. We need to know what to ask for. We need to know what to support. And that's how we become change agents or kitchen activists. It doesn't have to be all of our activism doesn't need to be a march together, although that's important to cross-pollinate and get us excited and charged and angry it needs to get as angry or scared a little bit but and but also hopeful it, like that's necessary, but most of our activism needs to be daily because that those marches are don't happen that often and we can't just wait for just those times like once a quarter that we, we march together. It needs to be a daily action. So for me, I am an activist with every meal. I'm an activist when I choose what I'm purchasing from the grocery store, who I'm purchasing from. I'm an activist when I make a decision to go to the farmers market first before I go to the grocery store to support small-scale organic biodynamic regenerative farmers. A lot of them are Latinos who are at the farmers market who are the farmers at those farmers market and they a lot of them don't have that USDA organic designation but Many of them, when you ask, are you know, if they're using pesticides, will tell you no, that they're not using pesticides. It's, it's also asking questions and supporting th- uh, these farmers who are really on the front lines of this movement. But they can't, they can't do this without the eater. Like, we need to partner with these farmers and food producers with our dollars so that they can continue to do that work and we can change the way food is grown and demand the way the um, food is grown. That we want, we, we don't want food, meat that's coming from factory farms. And we, you know, instead we want it coming from, I, I write about a farm that was in um, Savannah, just outside of Savannah, Georgia. And this they left the forest intact and the, the the animals are rotated on paddocks, which are just essentially just fenced off, squared areas. And, and the animals, the cows, will stay on a partic- in a particular paddock for about a week before they're moved to another paddock, so they can't overgraze. So they're just giving to the land instead of taking from from the land and they're part of the rotation. I've, I saw that over and over again where the animals are part of the crop rotation. So you bring the animals on and they, they feed that soil and then off they move and then here comes a crop right behind them. So there's all of these ways that we can approach this that are building soil. And I've said that now a few times and the reason I've said that is that's another term that is part of the building the consciousness around this. Every place, every farm I went to, that was the theme of how do you save water and how do you sequester carbon is to build soil. So when you scoop up uh, just a small uh, handful of soil from one of the farms that I write about, one of these regenerative farms, you will, you're holding a billion microorganisms in your hand. If I go to one of these farms that are close to me here in Oxnard that have been fumigated over and over and over, one of these strawberry farms and fumigated over and over and over again, I'm going to scoop up that soil and I'm not going to have that microbiology there. It's when, you know, the chemicals that we use, the pesticides we use, or herbicides, we call it all pesticides, but it's herbicides and fungicides, it's all within that umbrella. All of those toxic um, chemicals are designed to kill, right? Either designed to kill a pest, designed to kill a fungus, designed to kill a weed, or, I mean, weeds are just plants that we, just, that we don't want. That's, it's time for us to rethink weeds, too the microbiology in the soil, when you use chemicals on that soil that are designed to kill, well, the unintended consequence is they're killing the microbiology. And it's, that micro- it's those microbes that, have the, that are holding the water. It's those microbes that can hold, who are taking the carbon um, from the sky and placing it into the, into the ground. And not only that, but it, it's when you have soil that's thriving with microbiology, it, is more, it produces more nutritious foods. So when, you know, since 1960, the nutrition of our food has dropped. And that happens to coincide with kind of this big um, chemical farming. So as we've moved more and more to this chemical farming, our food has become less and less nutritious. So, you know, it's a, it's a win-win situation when we, when we support these farmers because we're doing what's right for the planet and we save water and we get more nutritious food that's more flavorful.
0: I have a question. A lot of shoppers, a lot of eaters, they can't afford organic food. What would you say or what do you recommend? I know you mentioned farmer's market. But how do they start? How do they go about it? It might be something new.
1: We all come at this from a different budget, absolutely. But before, there's there's a few things. But even before you get to buying organic or food at regenerative agriculture, because organic is like is within that. You know, it's biodynamic. It's um, Holistic manage these are dry farm. There's all of these terms that I talk about in the book on purpose, and I also bring it into the recipes because the book has recipes because it's that's the action piece. Like, okay, so you've learned this great stuff. Now what do I do? Well, now you just you start going out and asking question and, and questions and get these ingredients and start cooking. Like that's the action. That's the activism in this. Even before you get to you know, spending a little bit more in your budget, it is stop wasting so much food. We throw away here in the United States between 30 to 50% of our food. So that, if you just, if you just worked on that piece alone, you're, and you're saving money in that piece. The other thing is cook more, cook more from scratch. So if you're only cooking one time a week, cook twice a week. If you're only cooking three times from scratch, add an add an additional night because we also know that it's more expensive when you go out to eat versus when you cook for yourself. So, for example, I was looking. I I did this whole price map on what is a different. How much more am I spending? If with my or all my organic ingredients to make a, a yogurt parfait. So like I have Strauss, you know I'm using the Strauss um, yogurt, which is coming from small scale farms from dairies. And I'm using um, organic homemade uh, granola from the farmers' market and uh, berries that were that are organic from the farmers' market. And then I, I looked like ounce for ounce. By ounce, like how much does that cost for, and then versus how much it would cost for me to buy from McDonald's. And it was the same. So the difference is that McDonald's, they're making it for me. And versus if I make it myself, I'm still spending the same amount of money, but I'm getting much better quality food. And I'm supporting regenerative agriculture. And I'm saving water. And I'm I am a climate um, activist just by making that decision to not go through that drive through and get that. Car. And then I haven't even talked about the plastic that comes with that, that part right. of a, right? But, you know, and at home you can just, you know, start getting beautiful bowls. I love to have beautiful bowls. I have to trick myself into wanting to be in the kitchen more. You know, you, we're sitting right next to my kitchen. So it's like, you know, jars and... Pottery. I'll get it. I'll get it. Um, I always get my pottery really inexpensive from like the junior colleges, the community colleges will have the pottery sales. That's a great way to get really inexpensive pottery. But it's all of those. It's all the same thing. Like, you know, bringing people to your table, wherever that table is and what it looks like, or it doesn't matter how big it is. Just bring people to your table and serve beautiful food that tells great stories, that's all it comes down to. The other thing I would say going back to your question is for example, there's some, like produce, sometimes it's cheaper to buy, especially if you're at the farmer's market, it can be cheaper to purchase um, organic produce versus in the grocery store. Every t- and then that, the great thing too is you can move away from plastic because that's another, I'm also working on how do I reduce my plastic footprint? Not just my water footprint, because that is that we're learning that plastic isn't really even recycled. It's just we're sh- we were shipping it to China, and now we're not doing that because we are not accepting it. But China was just throwing it in the landfills. So that's another thing that we have to tackle: is how do we reduce plastic in our lives?
0: Do you foresee a new project regarding
1: with plastic? The plastic? Right now, I'm starting it just with my like a home project. The projects that I have brewing that are happening are um, is a compost tea party. It's a pesticide-free compost tea party, and I'm working with um, this really fantastic organization that's been around since 1946. It's called uh, the Encampment for, for Citizenship, and it is es- essentially a summer camp. So, I, for any of you listeners who are in between the ages of 15 and 18. Who are interested in learning to be social justice activists? This is an amazing camp. So they they get together for three weeks, out of, in the summer, and they have been they were here in Ventura County last summer, and they return this summer to Ventura County, and they offer lots of scholarships for it. So it's Encampment for Citizenship. So through them, we um, got some funding for Patagonia from Patagonia to support these pesticide free compost tea parties at local schools because in my book I talk about the private land right that's as as consumers we can impact change by our choices that we you know by our dollars by going to the farmer's market by going to the aisle the grocery aisle and choosing that organic milk instead of the conventional milk and maybe you can't afford the three dollars more that it is or four dollars more that it is but maybe you can every other time or maybe you can every two times right so it's just every little bit that we do more makes a difference because all of those little things add up to big things. The compost tea party we we're, I'm having one um, coming up next month at a school in El Rio called um, Rio del Sol. And it'll be on November 15th. And volunteers are, are welcome and needed and um, to help with facilitate 700 students who will be participating in this, in mixing compost teas and then applying it to the landscapes that were traditionally used. You know, you, they use chemicals for for the landscapes, like lyophysate, which is a Roundup Ready, and you know other uh, petroleum-based fertilizers to keep the grass green. So for me, what gets me excited about these compost tea parties is that we are raising consciousness, changing the vocabulary around how we look at our landscapes. So instead of looking at whether it's your your own Gardens, your own front yard and backyard, or the park nearby, or your schools, or the county-owned uh, land. That instead of looking at it as let's how do you get rid of weeds and how do you keep the grass green and cut nice and trim, let's look at it instead. Uh, how can we build that soil so we can sequester carbon and hold more water? Because we've learned what we know is that land that with ripe with microbiology can hold water up to a thousand times more than soil that's been treated with chemicals look at that all that possibility of how we can change things just here in our in literally in our backyards i've been invited to to speak or to address the county my county ventura county the issue. Right now they're looking at banning gliophysate but there's a lot of push to keep the status quo. They manage 4,600 acres and spend $795,000 every year to apply for for gliophysate only, just that one particular chemical and the application every single year. And the staff believes that that is still the most, the least expensive choice. I disagree. So I am really excited about what I have have found, which is another way to go about it, which is thinking outside the box. So there's like STEAM technology that University of Colorado Boulder is using, Gilroy Unified School District is using, um, University of Berkeley is using, or UC Berkeley that is, use, instead of using gliophysate, they're just using steam to kill the weeds. And, you know, so instead directing that money that they're saving, you know, because they'll, you know, to, to use a steam technology and then instead of using, spending $795,000 every single year, you know, you, you only have that upfront cost. Well, then you can use that other money that you're saving to hire people to coordinate volunteers, to do hand pulling, or the probation work crews, like have that be a coordinated effort where they're being, they are rotated around to different places. So there's, there's so many ways that we can tackle this with nature-based climate solutions, and we just have to bring that poder, right? And, and thinking and that tapping into genius, which happens when you bring different people together to think on a problem. So I'm excited about that possibility of moving the county from their stale thinking, really. You know, it's into something new. It's, it's time for us to, to turn the page and think about this in a whole new way. And so I'm excited about that.
0: Wow, thank you for sharing all of that information about your book, about your activism and your role here in the community as someone leading the way into better soil, building better soil, eating less water. And now comes the time to tell us more about you and tell us briefly, what is your source of and What inspires you and keeps you motivated to do all this work that you do?
1: I, I would say it comes down to my kids I feel like how I know I know what they're facing I know that all of the um the issues they're facing around water scarcity around climate change how could I not do as much as I can to hand them over a world with hope like let's rewrite this story I really feel like I believe strongly that we have that bullet to rewrite this story if but the what has to happen is we need to merge our influence like that that's where the power is i talk, always talk about that there's power in the collective and it's just bringing it's bringing that harnessing that bullet from you know, starts with 10 of us and then 100 of us and 1,000 of us and 100,000 and then a million and two, you know, let's, but we can do it. We can absolutely do it. So that's what keeps me going is, is my children.
0: And uh, lastly, what are some final thoughts, some final words you would like to leave our audience with?
1: You know, we are at a time where we need people to believe in their, their own ideas and to you know in their own because we do we each we each have that capacity and that talent to make positive change in this on this planet so it's Asking yourself that question, what am I here to do? What am I designed to do? And once you get that answer, even if it's in the shower and it seems something like shower timers, know that that leads to the next thing. It's just getting you ready to get ready to get ready for that next thing. And do it and don't stand in your own way. And can you imagine if if more of us were on that? How much passion we can bring to whatever it is that that you want to work on whether it's housing or healthcare or environment or or just you know creating something beautiful like all of those we are all called to do something find what it is and do it
0: thank you powerful and inspiring words thank you for being here on poder podcast thank you Thank you for listening to Poder Podcast, the podcast con poder. I am your host, Sergio Lagunas. Music is produced by Brian Navarrete. Please follow us on all social media channels, including Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. You can listen to us on Spotify, and you can subscribe to our podcast on Apple Podcasts. Until next time, this is Poder Podcast.